to another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. Welcome to October, or as we like to call it, Scary Movie Month. <laughs> I am joined by my brother Adam over Skype. Hello. Today we are going to be talking about uh, two horror classics, two uh, films that uh, defined uh, the universal horror monsters, and that is Frankenstein from 1931 the modern Prometheus, uh, based off the Mary Shelley novel from 1818, and its sequel from 1935, The Bride of Frankenstein, both directed by British director James Whale. And um, Boris Karloff played the monster. He In the film, it's quite interesting, he's credited as question mark. Like, in the, if you see the credits in the film, it's yeah. the monster, question mark. And then after that, he was just credited as Karloff from now on. And he plays. I, I, I love. I love the idea of people going into that being like, "I wonder who Boris Karloff is playing in this movie." Yeah, I know, but like at that time, <laughs> nobody knew who Boris Karloff yeah. was. He was just a struggling yeah. actor, like everyone else. He's he's brilliant. He was he was this like yeah. he was British and he was a, a like he was a stage actor. Uh, mm. I think by training, um, and when you see him without makeup in other films, you can really hear that. And he's a sort of, "Hello, yeah." I'm, used to being on the stage yeah and, in, you know he he's so he, um he's he, very kind of stately yeah i mean he was in a film called the body snatcher which is a robert wise film who directed westlife story not westlife story west side story and um westlife story <laughs> i don't know why i had what he directed west side story that's terrible <laughs> that's a terrible that's a horrible image these like Irish boy band like clicking at each other and getting stabbed. Oh, I wouldn't mind them getting stabbed, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. it might be better than the than the new Steven Spielberg remake that's just coming out. But anyway, oh. he he directed Fuck off, Spielberg. He directed West Side Story, but he also directed The Haunting, which is a great uh, haunted house film based off The Haunting of Hill House, uh, the book from Shirley Jackson. And he also so directed this is Robert, Robert Wise. Still. This is Robert Wise, yeah. But Robert Wise yeah. directed Boris Karloff in a film called The Body Snatcher, which is based a little bit around the Burke and Hare murders in the 1800s. And Boris Karloff in that film is terrifying. Like his whole voice, like, you're a fool, Toddy, you're no doctor. Like his kind of like just this <laughs> Cheshire cat grin that he has on his face. And I'm like, yeah, no wonder they didn't have him talk as Frankenstein. He's creepy. <laughs> as soon as he starts opening his mouth. <laughs> well, he, um, I mean, he does talk eventually, but um, yeah. And we can get on to that. Yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, the the 
the Franken. I mean, they're two very different movies, but I guess we should start with the first one. Yeah. So um, I I always thought that this was the first horror film that that Universal Pictures actually did, but actually mm. Dracula with Bela Lugosi came first, and then they did Frankenstein afterwards. And originally, Bela Lugosi was going to do Frankenstein, and they did screen tests, but they are now lost, so we don't really know what his Frankenstein would have been, but then they decided to go with Karloff because I feel like that it didn't quite work in James Whale's mind. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because this is sort of the beginning of the sort of the downfall of Bela Lugosi. And Karloff ends up having, I think, a much more successful career than him, yeah. ultimately. And a lot of it rests on, on this film. I mean, obviously the two were kind of placed not in opposition to each other but they were sort of seen as the two monsters and so they did try and bring them together for later movies but i feel like Karloff ended up having the better time of it and yeah um, there's actually a really good series of podcasts about this from karina um, longworth yeah the, yeah karina longworth uh, you must remember this really really great really interesting um i listened to that it was very interesting i think the whole story of those two and where their careers went because Karloff he he knew that if he played Frankenstein after Son of Frankenstein, which was the third Frankenstein film that they made, which was not directed by James Whale, it was directed by um, uh, Roland V. Lee, written and directed by him. And um, he kind of knew that if he was playing Frankenstein after this movie, in the other films that they did, he would have been Frankenstein for the rest of his life. Like, he wouldn't have gotten other roles. He would have been typecast as that character. Yeah. But Bela Lugosi he didn't he kind of stuck as dracula that was his bread and butter like he he very much i mean he was buried and as and as and as what it was his blood and butter <laughs> blood and butter uh, yeah but he but he was buried as dracula when he died like in his like costume from 19 in the 1930s so like he lived and died oh, i didn't know that that's not just a no, That's no, no. I, I think I think that is generally movie. true because they they were talk because in the Mark Gattis history of horror, the first episode is about the Universal monster movies of Karloff and Lugosi and all the other films that were made in that period up until like the 1950s when you know nuclear power became like a big thing and then they started making giant animal movies and alien pictures. But no, yeah, I think I think that generally is true. He was buried in his in his costume from the 1930s. Hmm. So I mean, I mean, I mean yeah, the story of Lugosi really... in his career in Hollywood, you know, coming from wherever the hell was he from? I can't remember. Let me just look this up. He was from he was from Hungary. I think he was from Budapest. Yeah, I think he had a hard time trying to get rid of the Hungarian accent. <laughs> I think that kind of hindered him trying to get roles and stuff. But uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, it's 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 uh, he it's it's one that's both interesting his story but also tragic as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was and he had he had all kinds of um substance abuse he, problems. Yeah, so it's but and then but you know Karloff kind of gracefully grows old and there's this um you know he does quite a few films in the 19 19- 50s and 60s where he's kind of sending up his persona mm. and um you know there's the Raven of course with um Vincent Price and Peter Lorre, <laughs> yeah, Jack um, Nicholson, which as well. is which is really really camp and really really fun. Yeah, um, and a young Jack Nicholson as well. Yeah, um, Roger Corman. Yeah. But um, but of course, he, you know, he he will indelibly be remembered as um, as Frankenstein. And of course, we should yes, please don't email us. We we get it. He's Frankenstein's monster. Um, yeah, he's but, Frankenstein's you know. monster, not Frankenstein. Henry Frankenstein, who's played by Colin Clive, who had 
worked with um, with James Whale uh, in, in, in the theatre. He worked the James Whale got the job to direct the first. Um, I mean, this was his. Uh, this was Frankenstein was his fourth film. He had directed a few films before that. One of which was Journey's End, with I think Colin Clive played uh, Captain Stanhope in that film, and that was, I think, their sort of big break. And then that got them noticed to to do uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting about both of these films um, is the sort of pervading sense of Britishness in them. There's a sort of yeah. British humour and even a British kind of um, camp sensibility in both of these films. That I think is incredibly important to their um, to the sort of um, the look and feel of them and the kind mm. of the way that they're experienced now. I think especially, um, and, and this is really true in the case of the second movie, but. Um, you know, it's um, there's 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 a great kind of um, uh, sense of kind of British, um, you know, uh, wryness. There's also that um, the, the the slight sort of dignitas that comes from mm. uh, or the dignity dignitas is the euthanasia clinic. I don't know where um, the dig, the dignity that comes from. Um, you know these stage these stage performers sort of trotting out these uh, slightly silly parts. Um, so it's uh, so yeah it's um, it's I think that's really important. I think that the fact that um, I think James Whale pretty much got to choose his his leading man is, is important. Yeah, he did. I think, and also he chose Boris Karloff, who you know was just happened to be you know walking around the studios by accident, and then they had him come in for a test and. Um, the makeup by Jack Pierce and the makeup by Jack Pierce is very revolutionary. And a lot of, I think a lot of what the collaboration between Boris Karloff and Jack Pierce, that kind of came out of their whole, you know, sitting in the makeup room and kind of playing around with stuff, you know, before it was like, you know, before Jack Pierce, it was, you know, Lon Chaney, the man of a thousand faces, like Lon Chaney was famous for doing his own makeup because he was from from vaudeville he did all that in vaudeville act so he could do it really quickly and do yeah. all the stuff and and you know you know back in the 1920s when the phantom of the opera the rupert julian film a really great silent film which i did see last year for my scary movie month uh, marathon which is great like you know that no one like when there's a moment in the movie where the woman who plays uh, the phantoms you know object of obsession when she pulls the mask off and you see his face like no one saw any images of that at all like you know you have to i think with these kind of films you do need to put yourself into the perspective of a 1920s audience member who's probably not used to seeing these kind of things and it is kind of frightening yeah. and like shocking as well especially with the music it kind of helps yeah yeah frankenstein i mean the makeup on the monster is unreal mm. like it is out of this world he is he looks amazing mm. i mean absolutely i mean and this is remember this is before anyone really knew what frankenstein's monster looked like you know yeah and also you know the book is very very different let's also be very clear on this like it's extremely not, different it's not it's ex like the film it's extremely different i did read it and i was like oh i thought this was like the movie but it isn't it's it's completely the opposite yeah so anyway no one knew what frankenstein monster was supposed to look like no one no one had any real idea in their mind and then all of a sudden they create this thing which yeah. now is the what is is what he looks like even in the book like i've seen editions of the book where it's essentially boris karloff on the cover but like you know um 
he, he, it's, it is so iconic. It is so immediately um, iconic as well, I think. And you can't, it, it, you, and you, I know it look, and you said, you know, as you pointed out, it does look silly to modern audiences, but it's like you have to try and, as you say, go back in time and think carefully. And, and you look, and you look at the skin coming off his hands, and you look mm. at the bolt in his neck, and that huge head, and the fact that he's like eight feet tall, yeah. and he's like, you know, and it's, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I wish the audience could see your hand movements there. Um, but like, <laughs> I was trying to like mimic his performance. Yeah. Um, he's he's uh, very well done. Um, he, he's just um, he's just something else. I mean, and and I feel like you know once he's in the movie, it, that's it. You know, game over. Like we are just we we cannot wait to see what havoc this guy wreaks. Yeah, I mean the moment he comes when you hear him walking the steps and stuff, and he's like, here he comes, dim the lights, and then he comes in, and then it's like you you see him in this wide shot when he walks in the door, and then it's sort of close-ups on his face, and it's the eyes that, just that, those piercing dead eyes, I think that's the kind of, like, terrifying aspect of it, but there's also a tragedy with the character, because he's a very misunderstood figure or something because he hasn't exactly he's come into a world where no one has really kind of explained like you're a dead person but we brought you back to life and this is how things work and also because fritz uh who's played uh brilliantly by um by uh, uh dwight fry who was also in dracula as renfield um you know is quite abusive towards him and stuff you know the guy with the hump and like master yeah yeah and yeah. and then he's, he's such a classic yeah or a character you know yeah i mean it's just yeah he's so he's it's like come on man like dr frankenstein needs to hire better people i mean i get the fact that he needs this is a criminal enterprise in some ways and you know they have to steal a dead body and it's all mm. pretty ethically dubious but get a guy who doesn't you know like who's got like a base level of competence like fritz is a fucking nightmare yeah. i wouldn't hire that guy to look after a bloody you know and maybe hire a public toilet like you know <laughs> and, a, load of, a load of monster and maybe hire a guy who knows exactly which brain to pick up <laughs> oh yeah well that's the problem as well and this is where it gets deliciously victorian i think that yeah. idea that like you can have a criminal brain and like a normal brain when I told I mean? you, when I told you to pick up that brain, uh, was it Hans uh, uh, Hans uh, Glubstein? No. Ah, good. Now, what was the brain that I did put in the body? What did it say? Abby something. <laughs> Abby what? Abby normal. Abnormal brain. <laughs> I can't. What? It, it's uh, it's it's I I it's. It, Mel Brooks is young Frankenstein. I just that's my favorite scene in the movie. It's just oh. Gene Gene Wilder and Marty Feldman, their sort of comedic act. It's so funny. You promise you won't get mad? I will not get mad. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, I mean it, it also, yeah, it's immediately so easy to stand up. And what's yeah. funny is I, I just wanted to go back to, you know, when you talk about the the reveal of the monster, it's so clear that the film is also like <gasps> Everyone, look! Look what we've made! Look at! Look at it! Look at it! <laughs> but yeah, but also like uh, you know, May Clark who plays Elizabeth, like this moment where she comes to the castle before the whole like it's alive in the name of God. Now I know how it feels to be a god, and like all this stuff. And then he's like, when she comes, and then he's like a little bit of like, oh please, just go away! Please, just leave me alone! <laughs> Don't be here, kind of thing. His his performance, uh, what, um... Colin Clive. Colin Clive, thank you, sorry, is is so brilliant. Like, yeah, he's, he's really he, good. 
He actually because it's, it's such a hard role that one because you're not, you know, you've got to you've got to you're you're kind of a good guy. He's also kind of a mental mad bad villain. Yeah, and he's um, he's also got to play. You know, he's got he's second fiddle ultimately to the monster when it does show up, and he gives this. He has this like drawn this kind of um, gaunt intensity to him that is just so. Um, mm wonderful like you can't imagine this mm. being an american actor like it's got to be this sort of like eccentric kind of lisping brit who yeah. who, who is really intense and who's like i mean you would marry this guy in a month of sundays but like this guy's very weird yeah i know <laughs> it's just like he's so theatrical with the way that he looks and just his performance it's very like stylistic and over the top but it kind of works for that character because he has to be like this obsessed like don't worry, I'm going to bring you back to life. <laughs> I'm going to make yeah. you... And then, you know, he realises that, what have I done? Oh, shock. <laughs> kind of thing. I know, it's, everything is very uh, stylized. Yeah, stylized, uh, I yeah. think... <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> he's also very stylistic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And um, but... I think nothing, nothing more so, and nothing is more iconic for me, apart from the monster, than the scene of the resurrection. Yeah. The bit where they where they open up the skylight and they harness the power of the storm mm. and they have all those they have all the equipment and the lightning and it's just and the hands you know and then the the line that is just mm. that moment it's alive. It's but just his so, performance where he just turns it, around and he's just like ecstatic and just full of like. Yeah. Look what I did! Like it's alive, kind of that. It's just the line, the writing, and the delivery, yeah. and the setting. It's just this is horror cinema. This is you know immediately this is going to be yeah. iconic. This is it's the benchmark be now for every subsequent um, Frankenstein movie. Mm. <laughs> it is just brilliant. So, and then the rest of the film is, is is. I mean, I feel like that's the high point for me. And then the. Um, and then obviously the, the the windmill at the end, which is a great set piece. But yeah. the rest of the film really is kind of just the monster causing chaos, right? Yeah, I mean the second, like the first half of the movie is, um, I would say, maybe the first thirty minutes is like Colin Clive's film, but then it's sort of the perspective of the film goes towards Frankenstein's monster, to Boris Karloff, who escapes into the world, and uh, the first person he meets is a little girl, little Maria, played by Marilyn Harris. And, I, uh, forgot, I forgot about the to, little girl. To, to a 1930s audience uh, who watched the scene with the little girl, that was a bit where they were like, no, 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 you've got to cut that scene out. Which that There were two scenes that the censors, the pre-code, haze code people had issues with. One of which was in the name of God. Now I know how it feels to be a God. And the other bit was the bit with the girl. And the interesting thing about the girl, like the actress who played her, the mo everyone was kind of worried that, are we going to terrify this little girl with the way Boris Karloff looks? Because it might be, we're going to be here for a yeah. very l long time. And <laughs> I was going to say, like, the answer to that question is probably yes. <laughs> yeah, but the funny thing was, is that when they were driving to the, to the location of where they were shooting, she ran up to Boris Karloff and gave him a hug. Like, because she kind of understood that, oh, he, he's, he looks harmless kind of thing. And then he, they wrote, they 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 drove up to the to the place together. So she kind of understood the character a little bit, like kind of like in the film, like he she doesn't she doesn't run away in fear. She sort of says like, "Hi, what's your name?" kind of kind of thing. And then while they were making the scene, he would like off camera, he would sort of wiggle his pinky just to kind of give the impression. Like, Abby, 
that sounds very dodgy. <laughs> like, I read this on IMDb. Like, his, wiggle his pinky. No, he was like he would he would do something with his hand off camera just to kind of oh, show. That sounds also quite dodgy. Okay, actually. fine. All right. He he, <laughs> he he would keep her entertained. He kept her entertained while they were making the scenes, so that you would wait. Why does he wait that? I don't know. Like like that. I don't know. So <laughs> wiggle his pinky. He wiggled. I don't know. Sorry. Okay. No, stop saying wiggled. <laughs> okay, fine. In the scene, in general, there's she starts flowing, uh, flowing, throwing uh, flowers that you know, and they float and stuff. And he's like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And then he picks her up, thinking that she's going to float, and chucks her in the river, and then she drowns. And that's right. pretty terrifying. And then, then come yeah. out the people with the pitchforks and the torches, and then they go after him into the mountains. Mm classic classic angry mobs in yeah. this in these films like really stock like every time you watch a simpsons episode and it's got the people you know the, the angry mob with the pitchforks and the torches i mean this is where it all starts yeah. this is really um and, and people you know repeating the lines you know in the mountains in the mountains in the mountains, <laughs> <To> the mountains. <laughs> um, and um yeah it, it's um you know, you just see, you can just tick off the like the classic tropes that are being established yeah. in this film, yeah. um, and it's it's delightful when 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 you watch it. Um, but it is, you're right, it is really sad on one level. But I think, um, um, I feel like this film doesn't go far enough in exploring some of that stuff, and 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 too often kind of just ends up playing the kind of gothic horror angle yeah um, it, and so for me i think james whale really gets to do more stuff in the second movie in *Bride yeah. of frankenstein well after frankenstein came out it was a huge success big box office draw and uh so was dracula and um yeah james whale uh he i think he kind of wanted to deviate well i mean he did do the old dark house which is where that you know camp mischievous british humor kind of came out which then gets brought into the invisible man and bride of frankenstein oh i didn't realize he directed the invisible man as well i did not know that either and I, I think i have to say i think out of the universal horror movies i think the two favorites that i have are are the invisible man mainly because it's quite terrifying and also because the special effects are really good and also Ooh. claude rains I believe this was his first performance. Is he's in a movie? In a movie, but he was fantastic. And also, was amazing. And also, my favorite, uh, my second favorite, is Bride of Frankenstein because I think with Bride of Frankenstein, he originally he didn't want to do the film, but then Carl Lemley Jr., who was the head of Universal Pictures at the time, understood and really respected James Whale and said, "I really would like you to do this film." But I think James Whale, when he agreed to do it, he had a lot more input in yeah, regards that's to what I've always heard, in regards he, to he the like, screenplay. I'll do this. I'll do this, but I'm going to do it my way. Exactly. Uh, basically, his way is to take the camp dial and dial it up to <laughs> one million. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, it's it's. It, I watched both movies just actually last night and a bit this morning, and. Um, it, it's Hence why you're in your pajamas still. Yes. Right, <laughs> and um, you just go to pieces every October, don't you? Because you basically have to be watching movies the whole month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been watching a few little ones recently. and um, But um, it, it's like even in the beginning scene, because it starts off with like this prologue with Percy Shelley, Lord Byron and Mary Shelley, actually played by Elsa Lanchester, who plays uh, the bride, the mate 
before Frankenstein, and then it goes back to the you know, sort of the ending of the first one, where all the people have you know believe that the monster is dead, and then you have like um, mini. Whoa, 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 whoa! Stop a moment because I want to talk about that first scene. Yeah. Can I tell you an anecdote that I read that I heard recently? Sure. What are you drinking? It's some innocent blue fruit drink kind of thing. It looks very Halloween. <laughs> it's like it's like the blue milk from Star Wars. No, it looks like a potion. It looks like something out of one of these movies. I was like, I was completely taken off my stride. Anyway, so um, I'm just going to mute my microphone because I need to sneeze. Excuse me. Okay. Oh, sneeze. I'm back. Yeah. Um, so, in 1819, there was a huge volcanic eruption in Indonesia. Um, and I can't remember which island it was on, possibly on Java, but I'm not sure. It wasn't Krakatoa. It was another one of these. Oh, I thought it was, it was big... Krakatoa. I thought it was Krakatoa. Sorry. But I, go on. But it was a, a, and there's, a, there's a great podcast episode from the In Our Time series about this. Anyway, it caused global climatic uh, change. And it was 1819 became known as the year without a summer. Because okay. there was, you know, darkness and crops failed and, you know, there was all of this just, um, uh, you know, these kind of repercussions from this uh, from this huge, um, you know, a catastrophe that had happened in Southeast Asia. And one of the sort of funny um, consequences was that um, Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and uh, Byron and all these guys, they were traveling. And I think they were in like Switzerland, Lake Geneva, possibly. And um, and it was really dark and it was really miserable. And so they spent a bunch of time inside and they just would instead because they were supposed to be out in the mountains, you know, and, and com, com, uh, uh, you know, communing with nature or whatever. And uh, but they, they, they couldn't go outside because it was so miserable. So they stayed inside and they would tell ghost stories and stuff. And that's one of the speculations is that it's because of this holiday that she got the idea for uh, for the for Frankenstein. That sounds like a movie in itself, like those people being locked in a place and then telling ghost stories to each other. But that's what I love about the start of that movie is it kind of is a callback uh, to that uh, to that idea. Yeah, uh, the other thing a... I want to say about the other thing I want to say about Mary Shelley is apparently she lost her virginity uh, by book. She had sex on top of her mother's grave, which is the it's a very goth thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that is that's that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I, that might be like an internet fact, and so therefore not true. But I really hope it's true because that is <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> that, is, that is very fucked up. Jesus Christ. Um, I love that. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I love the beginning of the film because firstly, I love Elsa Lanchester. She is one of my favorite, favorite actresses. She's not in enough films, uh, but she's delightful. And um, and immediately it's I just think it's great that they put her in both roles because mm. she needs to be in this film more than she is. She was nominated for an for Best Supporting Actress twice. Uh, Come to the Stable, which was uh, directed by Harry uh, Henry, sorry Henry Coster, and the other one was Witness for the Prosecution, which was uh, directed by Billy Wilder. Uh, Come to my Stable. That's the uh, sequel to Wiggle My Pinky. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> kind of wish I didn't bring up that thing, but uh, and, and never mind. 
But yeah, you can just cut it up. Yeah. <laughs> Except I'm going to say wiggle my pinky a thousand times, and people don't even know the reference. So, so yeah, I mean, so everybody, uh, so all the people from sort of behind the camera, James Whale comes back. Carl Emley Jr. is producer. You know, Carl Emley Jr. You know, before he got kicked out of uh, Universal Studios because a lot of films he produced didn't make their money back. Um, you know, he produced uh, Dracula, Waterloo Bridge, which was also a uh, James Whale film, The Mummy with Boris Karloff, where he plays the mummy. Um, uh, and, Question mark. <laughs> and uh, The Old Dark House, which is great, and Boris Karloff is in that as, as well. And, and then they did uh, The Bride of Frankenstein together. And everyone kind of comes back. Colin Clive comes back. Um, he has a smaller role in this movie, but that's mainly because he had... He had broken his leg and so he spends most of the film sitting down and not doing that much and um i did read up on colin clive he actually didn't live very long he was born in 1900 but lived to 1937 because oh yeah he he had um he died he was he suffered from severe chronic alcoholism and then he died from complications with tuberculosis oh geez yeah and yeah, one he of definitely he definitely does have the look of someone who has yeah. who has some struggles like he's he um i mean obviously that helps the part enormously but it was very it's sad to hear that he had yeah. such a tough time in real life yeah and um, and it's it, i just i just love the way that this film reopens because it's exactly the same set mm. and then um but then you get immediately a different tone because you have these villagers and that amazing woman who, who's that, that Una, Una, Una o'connor played who, who plays minnie like the moment she sees she's like goes like Ooh! and then just runs away she is she is like a yeah. creature of like she is pure vaudeville you yeah. know she's like a character from a fucking marx brothers movie and she is the most like irritating screeching like just violently camp character yeah um <laughs> but speaking of violently camp character we are introduced oh. to a new character played by ernest <laughs> Theisiger, dr septimus pretorius <laughs> just he is amazing <laughs> yeah just just he like to a new world of gods and monsters and it is and he plays it i think just just gay <laughs> well so, i mean like, i mean he, i mean Ernest. Of... he was he was uh, yeah. gay in real life as was james whale who was very yeah. open about it when not a lot of people in that period were yeah i mean his his pinky was wiggling all over the place oh, um, but um uh, the um the the you know i think that is kind of wonderful that there is this um i wouldn't i'm not even going to call it an undertone it's just a tone in this film yeah. and that james whale and and um what was the guy who played uh ernest uh Theisiger. Theisiger, yeah like they have they are having so much fun mm. with this but obviously dr um uh, what uh the, 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 pretorius dr. pretorius Thank you. I was going to say Dr. Copernicus. I was like, no, different character. Uh, Dr. Pretorius has that great scene where he's developing these other little people. Yeah. And you have this screamingly funny sequence with these mini characters in these jars. Yeah. Uh, including I... the the mermaid who was played by, I think, an Olympic swimmer or something. And so she could hold her breath for ages. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, um, and then you have that king who's like constantly like this like horny king who lives in his jar and is always trying to get out and like go and run over and have sex with the the queen or whatever it is yeah. and they have to like keep picking him up and putting him back and the special effects are really good like really really yeah. good 
I think they, they, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful watching, especially when you look at something like The Invisible Man, which came out in 1933. You just like wondered, like, how the hell did they manage to do all that stuff with the technology that they have? It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's not like these films are major investments for the studio. I mean, these are B movies, right? Yeah, they're very much B movies. And I think James Whale, he wasn't, he was kind of, I think his ambitions sort of lied elsewhere. He didn't want to be sort of known as like a B movie director, but I think this is a. <laughs> Too late, buddy. <laughs> yeah, a bit, yeah, a bit too late for that. But I think, like, I mean, I, I don't really see. I, I mean, I think this movie is 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 far complex for like a B movie. I would say. Well, yeah, he, they really get to grips, as I was saying before, with some of the crucial themes of this whole story. I mean, I think there is such amazing pathos and just emotion in that scene mm. where he meets the blind hermit in the forest. Yeah. OP, where, where the edgy. monster is wandering around and he meets this guy who takes him in and they he learns to speak and he and they talk about being friends and genuinely like the first time i watched that sequence i sent i really got quite like moved and emotional by it i found yeah. it very very affecting um yeah, it's like and it's two two, out, two outsiders both who have their physical disabilities and one person has mental disabilities as well they both find this kind of connection and they manage to make themselves you know they become friends like this you know this yeah like a, like the, this couple living out in the woods basically i know it's incredibly wonderful and then the, the fact that they it gets ruined by um you know the violence and the, and the prejudice of, yeah. of of you know these idiot townspeople who you know back the pitchfork mob is back yeah. do you um, want to know who played you know, those two guys who come in you know who come into the the cabin and burn the place up? I just watched it recently, and I just recognized who they. Well, I recognized one of them, but I now realized, oh, the other person is that guy. It's John Carradine, and I think Walter Brennan. I did not realize it was Walter Brennan because I remember it was John Carradine. I was like, yeah, um, but I did not realize it was Walter Brennan. I think it was Walter oh, Brennan. Yeah, I just, I was just, I was just looking through the cast list, and I was like, Walter Brennan was in this movie, uncredited as a peasant, and John Carradine as a hunter. So. My, yeah, I think, I think, you can watch the I mean that you you Carradine's chin, I mean you can spot that a mile off. And yeah. uh, I mean he becomes also a great kind of horror um uh character, doesn't he? And he ends up being the mad doctor in this short film that makes up part of the um Woody Allen movie, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask. Yeah, I mean um, I mean John Carradine actually played <laughs> in he played Count Dracula in well, twice in House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, which came sort of later in the kind of later part of the of the um, sort of universal monster movie period. Which yeah. I, I which I, which I've not seen yet, but I would like to. And um, yeah, he, he did. He he was a great character actor. John Carradine did a lot of did a lot of films. Well, he's in a lot of our uh, favorite. Mm -hmm. um, westerns and he's um yeah i mean he just all around brilliant bloke and obviously spawned a an acting dynasty yeah um and um so yeah no uh, legend really but yeah didn't, yeah so it's always easy to overlook some of these small uh early roles yeah. for these guys um but I, yeah that's that whole sequence is just the, the core of the movie for me mm. and um and then that you know and then we get the uh you know the the, the they have to give us you know the money shot is the um uh, is that transformation scene, and we get now the bride? You know, bride, the, yeah. they bring, and then we also get the repeat of "It's Alive, It's Alive." Even though he this time around, Frankenstein doesn't actually want to be doing this, he still gets like 
a super like nerd boner for the whole process by yeah. uh, you know uh, by the end and then and then we get to spend some time with um the bride of frankenstein for like two minutes but it's still delightful but yeah her just that presence that she has especially with the music as well i think the mu i think just i think that's one of the things i was i missed from the first frankenstein film and also the first dracula film because there isn't really any music because i think the music really helps in creating a tension and a tone and it really kind of helps with you know building the atmosphere because i think just music and horror films you know it has to be perfect and it has to work and it really does work in this film and i think it's, pr it's pretty fantastic and also just that just this kind of romantic kind of ballroom-esque um, tune that plays when she comes out after Pretorius is, says, the bride of Frankenstein in that <laughs> particularly camp kind of way. And, and can we just can we just focus for a second on, I mean, if we think about it, they got the look of Frankenstein perfect. Yeah. Now, if you think the bride of Frankenstein is going to be some hideous freak with like a misshapen head and like yeah. skin coming off her hands, you've got another thing coming because they decide to go a completely different route. They're like, we're going to do this like elfy kind of sort of like gremlin kind of look kind of with these little sharp teeth but yeah. then she's going to be like beautiful and she's going to have this big hair with a stripe in it which is the coolest thing in the world yeah. um, and obviously which is referenced in Rocky Horror Picture Show um, <laughs> yeah, that's and, true. Um, and, and it is just it is so it makes no sense no. because surely she would look exactly like uh the other Frankenstein, but just you know, different, like a little, like a lady version. But no, yeah. they just decide to just make her look her, like she's her own thing. Yeah. And um, and I just love the sort of the way that she like hisses like a cat. And um, and I mean, I think we talked about this in the wedding special, didn't we? That just the whole the way she brings that character to life, for her, as it were, is um, mm. I just love it. I, I just I could watch that scene again and again. Yeah, just her like face as she's looking around and sort of getting to grips with her surroundings after being woken up. It's quite it's quite amazing. Like that whole like five minutes that she gives is pretty cool, and that scream she does is pretty. Yeah. It's pretty good. That's that that's quite bone chilling. Just that kind of just fright, but also just. I don't know, like all the like kind of she just doesn't understand what's going on and stuff. And first time I watched this movie, I mean, one of the things about a lot of these universal horror films is that they're very short. You know, this, they're like an hour long sometimes. And, yeah, um, they're very. So I was expecting. I was I was gutted because I was kind of expecting that maybe she and the monster would escape and they would go on adventures together and I'd get another maybe like another half hour to enjoy. But unfortunately, no, because. Um, I mean, and this is the right decision as well. They, they they give you what we've all been waiting for, and then the monster is horrified, so he tears the building down and everyone dies. She hit me like others. Yeah. <laughs> so are you generally in favour of the dialogue that they give him, or...? Uh, what, you mean the whole, like, you make man like me, like, like that stuff? Yeah, or? yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Karloff wasn't really in favor of it when he found out that he was going to be talking in the movie and stuff. I think it's very quick, like the blind man is able to teach him quite a few words and stuff. But I don't know. I think blind man's an amazing pedagogue. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, I mean, it I... does. I think it detracts a little bit from his mystique, I will say. Yeah, a little bit. I think, I, I, yeah, it's like. It's like seeing the the shark too much and the jaw sequels. It does take away the tension and the sort of suspense of him just, you know, because it give because it it puts him more in the film where you kind of want him to be in the background and like 
just pop out of nowhere and just be you know frighten people and stuff like that yeah and the fact that he can't communicate is one of the central tragedies of his yeah exactly um, you know his character so yeah i feel like you've got to ding it a little bit on that but i mean we're talking about two just perfectly made b horror movies really at the end of the day aren't we yeah and um and and the film they did afterwards the son of frankenstein is actually is actually not that bad i actually quite like that film it's that's oh, the one, seen it. that's the one with uh, bella lugosi as igor well do you have any um do you have any final thoughts before we go on to uh, recommendations because i'm kind of interested to hear what you've been watching this month um yeah i mean i i really like i don't know i i really love I, I mean, I have to sort of, I mean, I talk about Mark Gaddis every time when I talk about horror movies. I mean, I just, I like that he did that history of horror, those three parts, because I never would have gone on to like Hammer Horror Films and watched some of them. Like they did their own Frankenstein movie with Peter Cushing as, as, as the Baron, who is just wonderfully good in that, in those films. And Christopher Lee is the monster in the first one. And I just, I just love the style of the movies. I just love the sets, the German expressionism style. It just adds such a nice tone to the to the film and kind of makes you want to be there in some weird way. Like you just kind of want to see what the world is like and stuff. This kind of mi mix match of British, American, and German. <laughs> just it's all like coming around there and stuff. Good point, by the way, on the German stuff. That's something we haven't mentioned yet, and I was going to talk about it before, actually, because that first in the first scene, uh, sorry, in the first film, the scene where they reveal the monster is reminiscent of uh, the reveal of Nosferatu in uh, in that in the film of the same name, and yeah. um, and you know the the, the shadows and the the look, as you say, the look of this community, which is like very Central European in in terms of architecture and costume. Um, even though everyone sounds American. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's a huge part of why these movies are so iconic. Yeah, and also just the performances as well. Like, Car Karloff's performance is amazing. Colin Clive's performance is amazing. I, I was about to mention, like, uh, one of the pallbearers at Colin Clive's funeral was uh, the great actor Peter Lorre, who also, you know, oh. went off to have play many great characters, uh, villains, uh, M, Fritz Lang's film M, who also who did yep. Metropolis. Um, and also just like, I mean, the direction is really good. Like just all the production values are really good. And you can just, I mean, when you, I feel like it's, it's, I mean, all the movies are an hour long and you kind of wish they were longer, but you, it, it's like, it's straight and simple and to the point and not like confusing itself with too much. Like they, they're really, they really know what they're doing. And I think like with each film they did afterwards, like all the continuations of all the different monster films that I've that I that I've seen it they, they really kind of got into their groove a little bit and they and they and they're really fantastic and also kind of I don't know strangely inspirational I think like I don't know I feel like with people who watch these movies now if I was going to like show this to someone I'd be a bit because I remember at film school I tried showing people The Innocence which we have talked about on the podcast before and that is a fantastic film. film and they weren't really into it Philistines. Because I kind of built it up as like this is a really good film, it's really creepy and stuff like that. But they we they kind of gave up halfway through, well actually twenty minutes into the movie, or like thirty I can't remember when we kind of gave up. It's the moment when she sees the ghost these people are idiots. It's like when she sees the ghosts for the first time, like that scene in the window with the breathing and everything. That that scene to me is still terrifying, as like all there are some moments in this film are terrifying as well. But like, and then we ended up watching the remake of The Ring, and I was a bit like mm. annoyed, like the whole evening. But I feel like you have to sort of, 
Oh god, I could imagine you were just seething. I was seething on the inside. I was just like, this isn't good, <laughs> kind of thing. I just went back to my dorm and just cried myself to sleep. No, but like, no, but I think That's you have to put yourself reaction. into the mindset of, of a 1930s audience member who, you know, it just of how what they were what they were expecting and stuff like that because i you know yeah it's it's you know because i feel like these days people are so used to like all these other like you know big special effects things like that and some of that's really good but i think you kind of the the old stuff is still pretty classic and good and you can just see where horror has started and how it's progressed and how people have built off those foundations that they have done uh with these films and i think you know the, i hope that these movies still are that they stay and are preserved for for many generations to come yeah and, and frankly they should be and, and i couldn't agree i, I couldn't agree any more with what you said i think that's that's really well summed up um and i do you know just recommend to people like these are these are one hour movies so you can watch them back to back and it's a really rewarding and fun experience yeah. uh, especially in scary movie month ooh, 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 lightning in the background <laughs> Well, you can put in special effects later. Um, <laughs> so, what have have you watched a film recently that you'd like to recommend? Um, yeah, actually, I don't know. I mean, I've been watching a few modern horror films, like some I haven't seen before. Like, <laughs> I do cut like the first movie I watched, which is a film directed by Mick Garris, no relation to Mark. Well, sorry, I was gonna uh, stupid joke. Uh, Mark, what, are you gonna are you gonna say Mark Gattis and Nick Garris are somehow related, like some kind of lost cosmic twins? Yeah, sorry, that was a bad joke, but <laughs> yeah. probably. So, I watched the first film I watched was Sleepwalkers, and Sleepwalkers was a script written by Stephen King. I think he originally was going to do this as a book, but then he wrote it as a script. And Mick Garris, who has done a few Stephen King productions, he did the TV show The Stand, which is quite well known, and they're remaking. Well, they're doing another version now uh, with uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Alexander Skarsgård. And um, like, <laughs> it's the best way I can describe this film. It's like it's the Con Air of horror films. Right. It's like if their original intention was to make a very camp, like, you know, a film that you shouldn't take seriously because it's so camp and weird, they really succeeded. But if their original intention was to do like a straight horror film with a take on a different take on the vampire genre, they clearly failed. Because <laughs> there's some moments like I was in such a bad mood. Like before I started watching the film, and by the end of it, I was just smiling because I was just feeling like this is the worst film I've ever seen. But by God, is it amazing! <laughs> so I kind of want to like watch, like, because you know we did the Face Off <laughs> DVD commentary. I kind of want to watch this film with you and do a commentary with you. Just I think that would be amazing. But I think one film I actually am going to recommend to you, which I did see very recently, and I actually do want to talk about for our YouTube channel, is the film that kind of. Well, it didn't really start the found footage genre off, but it 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 people kind of followed what that film did, and it's the Blair Witch Project, which I've never seen. You've never seen the Blair Witch Project? No. Well, that's why I mean, you're recommending it. But yeah, I have uh, never seen it. I'm, uh, I, I would love to give that a watch. It's a very good film. I I mean, I think it's it's very debatable, like whether the film really holds up because so many films have kind of followed that you know paranormal activity troll hunter cloverfield they followed the kind of found footage sort of style but i i think because it's such a low budget film and because there's no you don't see anything in the film 
it's all sounds and speculations. I think that's really frightening. And also because you, you really sustain your d disbelief a little bit because you feel like what you're watching is real. And a lot of people, in, when they saw this film, they actually thought it was real because the marketing campaign was so like, they had missing posters at the Sundance Film Festival, like Cannes, of all the actors in the film. Like one of the actresses, Heather Donahue, people were going up to her mother's house and giving her condolences. And she was like, she's not dead. She is, it's a movie kind of thing. People are, people are very stupid. Aren't but they? Like, I mean, this but, is the thing. But like, the thing is, like that film, like, like in the town where they filmed, in Burkittsville, Maryland, people actually went to the woods thinking that this thing was real. Like, we're going to go out and find the Blair Witch and all that kind of stuff. And that's what the second film was kind of going to be about. But then it got reshot and re-edited and kind of turned out to be not that and um but like you know the, like people kept on stealing the sign welcome to burkittsville and people were like fuck it get rid of it because people keep stealing the fucking sign and um it's just it's quite mad like there's like a, a bunch of people who say like it's a movie but there's a bunch of people who'd be like this is real the blair witch project is real <laughs> um so my recommendation for you is a japanese movie that i watched uh the other day called onibaba um which um i can't remember the director's name now um but it it's uh it, it's a horror film about two women who live in the in the wilderness and who kill samurai by pushing them in a giant pit Ooh. and then uh, their life gets disrupted when um a man moves in nearby and it uh ends up uh getting very very dark and very very uh gothic and i absolutely loved it it is incredibly uh beautiful it's kind of got this like real kind of amazing levels of mm. eroticism and like um sexiness for the time which i found quite surprising and, yeah. and and really like justified as well um it's beautiful it's scary it's haunting and it's really got some like incredible moments of of pathos and kind of um and chilling some you know tragedy in it it's 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 so um brilliant and the music is is really interesting and modernist and sort of an atmospheric um the lighting everything it's black and white obviously mm. so um and it, it's just one of the most astonishing um, horror films I've seen uh, in recent years. Um, it, nice. It's uh, it, it's brilliant, absolutely um, uh, must watch. I think for yeah. for any horror fan. Well, that's actually on my list because I did get that for. I think you gave it to me for Christmas last year. It is on my list. It's a little bit later in my list because I have a bunch of other films I'm I'm watching before that. So. Yeah, so this week, I've just watched a film called The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is directed by the guy who did Troll Hunter. Very atmospheric film, really kind of creepy, and Brian Cox is really good in the film. So yeah, there's a, I, I've got a few uh, Asian horror films on my, on my list, films I haven't actually seen yet. Uh, a Tale of Two Sisters, directed by Kim Ji-Woon. Uh, uh, Train to Busan, which is like a... Like a oh, that's the, supposed to be good. Yeah, a zombie movie. Uh, that takes place on a train and uh, Oni Baba as well, and um, there's also a few. Is, uh, is Samuel Jackson in that one? Which one? Because he had it with these zombies on these motherfucking trains. <laughs> well, they're doing a remake of. Well, they're doing an American remake of Train to Busan because nothing is sacred anymore. From you know when a foreign film is really good, and then fucking every... hell, Jesus uh, they Christ. might they might even put Samuel Jackson in the movie because um, why the fuck not? But there's a few. I have put a few um, other old horror films on my list that are coming later. I've put the original uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, which I think was a Universal uh, horror film. 
uh, Carnival of Souls. I'm not quite sure who which studio did that. And The Black Cat, which has Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Oh, there you go. Well, that's uh, that's quite the list. I hope you have uh, hope yeah. you enjoy it. I hope you don't traumatize yourself during this yeah. movie month. And uh, and Mario Bava's film Black Sabbath, which also has Boris Karloff in it. Italian oh, Italian horror. Well, I mean, good luck to you. Yes, I'll be. I think I'll be fine. And uh, one of the films on my list, actually, I have I've. Uh, two horror, f- uh, two werewolf movies on my list. I have The Howling from Joe Dante, which is a great uh, werewolf movie, and uh, American Werewolf in London, which I've not seen in a very, very long time. So basically, good luck getting through to you this month because you're just going to be in your pajamas watching scary films. <laughs> basically, I'll just be like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> kind of like that. Um, cool. Well, um, I wish you all the best with it. Yes. Um, um, I should probably and I, go I, to work. And I look forward to uh, the, the, what should we talk about on the next episode? Oh, Night of the Hunter, I think. Night of the Hunter, Charles Lawton film with Robert Mitchum. Yeah, no, I really want to talk about that. Uh, and uh, it, it's one, it's I think it's in my, also, I mean, absolutely one of my favorite films of all time. So I, I would love to get into that with you. But uh, I do really have to go to work now. Yes, and I have to of go, course. I have to get ready for work. Yes. Uh, but uh, but this was fun. This was a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for uh, checking into another episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. The next episode, we will be talking about The Night of the Hunter with uh, Robert Mitchum. Um, if you are fans of the podcast, do check us out on Twitter at Homes Movies Pod. You can send us an email to homesmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And we also have a blog um, that I've been mainly posting stuff on recently. And Sorry. That's fine. Uh, you're a busy man. Yeah. And well, I'll, I'll, I, will, I will do better. I yes. promise. And uh, you can also follow Adam, uh, the Brixton, no, not the Brixton Dane, the North. Nope. The, the Northampton Dane and you can also follow him on Instagram adam.h.f.homes that's right for yes. pictures of food and autumn leaves in western Massachusetts uh, in creepy western Massachusetts it's actually we were, we were driving the other night uh, to a place uh, up in the hills and some of the roads were very spooky you would have loved it that sounds fun <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I was thinking of you. Anyway, um, yeah. well, and you, know, you can also so, follow uh, me on Twitter at Fabricius ninety. Oh, fucking hell, Jesus Christ! F a b r i c i u s nine one, and you can also follow me on Instagram as well, Anders F Holmes. So yes, do subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and TuneIn. I've been Anders Holmes. Thank you so much for listening to us talking about. Uh, the great classic Frankenstein and its sequel, The Bride of Frankenstein, both directed by James Whale. We belong dead. You go to work. I I get dressed and do stuff. I'll go back to do whatever it is I do. (laughs) And a hot plate. Okay. Hi, Dougie. Uh... (laughs) All right. Catch you later. Bye. Bye.